So we've been talking about this for the last several weeks, just the whole concept of of being a blessing, loving our neighbors, serving our community, kind of representing Jesus, being ambassadors of Christ out in our community. And I want to do that again today, just kind of continue with those that, that line of thinking. And our title this morning is Little Acts of Grace. And uh, our text is in Colossians chapter 4. Let's uh, take a, a second and just pray and ask the Lord to just bless His Word, and then we'll read this together. Uh, Father, we do ask you to just anoint your word this morning that it would penetrate our hearts and and really cause us to evaluate uh, who we are and where we are and what we are in you and who you are and where you are and what you are in our lives. So just open uh, our hearts to receive from you this morning. Amen. Okay, this is um, Colossians chapter 4. It's actually the end of the letter, final greetings. I think we're beginning at about verse 11 or 12. I can't remember exactly. Uh, Actually, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who's one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So this is the uh, conclusion of Paul's letter to the Colossians. And in this little passage we just read, uh, Paul, it's 11 verses, he mentions 11 people by name and then several other subgroups of people. He compliments Tychicus. He compliments Onesimus. He sends greetings. He says, some of those with us are... Jews, some are Gentiles. Uh, he talks about Epaphras and Epaphras' spiritual life and his maturity. He uh, sends greetings to Nympha and the church in her house. And at this point in time, uh, the church was still meeting in homes. You know, the synagogues were places where the Jewish faith worshipped, uh, but the Christian church, as it was starting, they didn't have buildings yet like this. So they met uh, in very much the format that we would meet in a small group today. They would meet in a home. And a church would be 20 or 30 people, and then when they would get so big they couldn't fit in the home, then they would just go off and start another church. And so one of those churches was meeting, and he says, hey, send greetings to them, share this letter with them, uh, let some other people read it too. And then he closes off, he says, I'm writing this with my own hand, it's very likely Paul was in prison, he probably dictated the body of the letter. But when he gets to this concluding part here, kind of personal greetings, and he wants to add a personal touch So he writes that with his own hand. 
so, so what? So what? You, you know, we read Scripture. I think this is one of the passages that maybe, and I won't ask you to give yourself up here, but we might skip over this part. We might just not read this. What, you know. We're looking for those deep theological truths, those little nuggets of wisdom. We're looking for the gold in there. And uh, I don't know, it's not a lot here. Say hi, do this, do that. There's, uh, it's not super insightful. What, what, what can we get out of this? First, I want to give you, before we get into what we can get out, a little context. Uh, you may have heard of Plato before. Anybody heard of Plato? A couple of you. Plato was a Greek philosopher, lived about 300 years before Jesus, and he was very, very influential in Western thinking. Sometimes you realize we grow up and you, you learn things and you're not, you're not aware of where they came from. They just are their philosophies and ways that we live and things that we ascribe to. Plato was very, very influential in Western thinking and in many ways influential in Christianity. A lot of uh, interpreters of the Bible uh, would read it through a Platonic lens. And some of what we have been taught and learned and kind of has carried through historically has really been much more Platonic thinking than really biblical thinking. Uh, fundamental to Plato was the separation of spirit and matter. There were really two realms, spiritual realm, physical realm. Spiritual realm was good. That was all good. Physical realm, anything that was, had matter to it, substance, was bad. Good and bad, they were separated. And so this is where kind of that thought of, you know, salvation, uh, and again, things have changed. There's been a shift, for some of you may not be aware, in theology and understanding of Scripture in the last 40 or 50 years, but uh, in kind of the 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, uh, was very much thought salvation was sort of going to heaven that was it. And when you go to heaven, your spirit is released from the bondage of your body in the physical realm, and that was really good. One of the uh, ways that Platonic thinking influenced uh, biblical interpretation the most, and again, this has changed a little bit, but in the 70s, some of you will remember, this is what we grew up with, uh, was kind of end times. And the thinking was, of course, that Jesus was going to return any minute and when he did, all the Christians would just kind of be sucked up into heaven with him. That would be fantastic. And everything left here would burn, right? Anybody remember that? Turn or burn. You either go up or you go down. That's it. And uh, that, was, that was sort of the way that it goes. It was really an interesting time to live. I recall, I knew people, people did crazy things with that in mind. Because Jesus is coming back, it makes all the sense in the world that I would go out and get a credit card and buy everything I can buy and rack up all kinds of bills because <laughs> I'm not going to have to pay for them. Joke's on you. Uh, people really did that stuff. People really did that. There was, this set, there was just this idea that we're going to heaven and there was this separation of, of physical realm and the spiritual realm, and it's a very uh, platonic view, but it's not a very biblical view at all. Spirituality of the New Testament is uh, quite a bit different than that. At the heart of what we call the gospel is the proclamation that God, creator of heavens and earth, 
the center of the universe, the one who spoke all things into being, the one who uh, flung the stars from his fingertips and calls them by name and who counts the number of hairs on your head, that God became a person. That the big became small. And that spirit took on flesh and became matter and lived a physical existence and walked on the earth and then died on the cross and took upon himself all the sin and all the failings and all of the shortcomings of mankind. God reveals Himself by diving headfirst into the material world. And that's the exact opposite of what Plato said. He walked right into the middle of the mud and the blood and the beer, as Johnny Cash would say. Where else are you going to go and get a Johnny Cash quote in church? Um, He did not separate Himself from the physical world He entered into the physical world, took on flesh to identify with the life in the world that you and I live in. John 1.14, I love uh, Eugene Peterson's version of this. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We might update that a little bit today and just say, Word became flesh and moved into the hood. It's not straight out of Compton, straight into Compton. Jesus wasn't afraid to take on flesh and to walk into the middle of all the pollution and corruption and crime and drugs and political chaos and everything else that's happening. He said, no, this is where I belong because this, that's what love does and God is love. And love enters into the pain and the suffering and the challenges and the difficulties of mankind. Unlike Plato, God is not afraid and God doesn't separate himself out. God says, no, I want to enter in. And and he is our example. That's how we're to live. Uh, We talk about incarnational ministry. What is incarnational ministry? Incarnational ministry really is walking right into the midst of the stuff. It's flesh and blood. It's hands and feet. It's eyes and ears. It's, It's moving and walking in and among what's happening in the world today. It's not separating ourselves out, as some people believe, and sort of uh, putting ourselves in a little hermetically sealed Christian bubble that no dirt and bad things can get into. No, it's saying, I'm going to walk into the middle of this stuff, and I'm going to be who Jesus is, and I'm going to learn to love people right where they are today. That's what that is all about. Jesus had an earthly spirituality. One of my uh, heroes of the faith, somebody that maybe some of you have heard of, some of you may not have heard of, but he was a, uh, a young man named Father Damien who was uh, born and raised in Belgium and became a priest. Uh, Damien came from a, a Christian family, his father and his, his brother was a priest. Uh, he originally went and applied, I don't know how the system worked then, to become a priest, and he was rejected because he didn't have formal education that was required. The problem was that as a teenager, he had taught himself Latin and had been studying Scripture. In uh, Latin was the first translation, so the Bible was translated originally from the, the original Greek and Hebrew language into Latin, then later into German and English. But he was studying the Latin Scriptures and really had a level of maturity and depth and insight that most other people hadn't. And so when the uh, folks there found out he was 
actually the smartest guy in the room. They said, oh, okay, I guess you can become a priest. And so he did, and then he finished his training and went on assignment to uh, the South Pacific, to the islands of Hawaii. And he was originally stationed at a mission that was there uh, on the island of Oahu. And while he was there, Damien became aware of uh, a colony of people that were living in exile on the island of Molokai, and they had been sent there because they had leprosy. And so there was, he, he became aware that not only were they exiled there, but there was, there was no mission there. There was no priest. There was no one there to serve communion, no one there to care for these people. And so he said, I'll do that. Had to get approval, and uh, they finally approved, and Damien went to Molokai and established the first church there. And he began to serve communion to the people in the leper colony. Uh, he cared for them personally, dressing their wounds and providing um, medical you know, treatment for them. But he also uh, not only taught them scripture, but established schools. He had roads built. He built buildings. He spent 16 years pouring his heart and life out into these people that no one else would touch and eventually contracted leprosy and died among them. Um, that's incarnational ministry. That's what Jesus calls us to do. Um, right now you're wondering what any of this has to do with the verses we read a little earlier. You know, I just think that, again, we, we tend to skip over some of those passages sometimes. This is just sort of the sign-off, right? I don't think so. I think those verses illustrate the spirituality of the New Testament and represent the kingdom of God to us in the most practical form possible. The little details. Who greets who? Who cares for who? Who prays for who? Hey, you guys are doing a good job. You know? Wally, he's a true and faithful servant. Cindy's always praying for you guys. Hey, by the way, I was in California last week and I saw Raymond McDonald and he said to send greetings to all of you up here. That's relational. That's incarnational. You might have heard the saying before, the devil's in the details. I think sometimes God's in the details. You don't have any idea the impact you can make on a person's life. You know, growing up, I, I, uh, people talk a lot about John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard and all this stuff. And uh, John did a lot of stuff. He did a lot of things. There's no doubt about it. I, I, there's something about John I appreciated that Maybe a lot of people, other people didn't see very often. I, I'm an observer of people, and I would watch. And sometimes uh, at the end of a service, maybe on a Sunday night, you know, John would be walking out of the sanctuary, going home, whatever, you know, and he would walk up to somebody and just put his arm around him and just walk and talk with them for 30 seconds or a minute, and then give him a pat on the back and walk away. And I knew that in that 30 seconds that he very well changed their lives. Just gave him that little word of encouragement, that, that, that little motivation to keep going. And we don't realize the impact that we can have just by saying, hey, you're doing a great job. Hey, hey send my blessings to, the, to those guys over there. Hey, uh, I, you know, I've been praying for you. God's in the details. You read this. It, it, this is, here's the irony, and this is funny. Uh, 
Bill Stroud talked about this a little bit the last night of the conference, too. You know, we think of what the New Testament church, man, that's where it was at. That's what was happening. And when you read a passage like this, it's all nice and rosy and wonderful. And you think, well, the new, they, they just had it all together. Everybody was happy and got along. And it was just this wonderful little, you know, kumbaya moment that was happening all the time in the New Testament church. But it really wasn't like that at all. In that little passage there, uh, Paul mentions Onesimus who if you read the book of Philemon, you realize Onesimus was a runaway slave. And when he ran away, he ran into Paul and got saved. And Paul said, you know what? you got to go back. But I'm going to send a letter with you. And he told Philemon, the man who owned Onesimus, I want you to receive him back, not as a slave, as a brother. And now he's serving Paul. Talks about John Mark in there, the cousin of Barnabas. On an earlier trip that they had been on, Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark along, but he had been kind of a pain. And Paul said, I don't want to bring him along. And so what happened? They went separate ways, and Barnabas took John Mark, and Paul went his way, and the relationship was broken. And now sometime later, here is John Mark serving with Paul. Sometimes I think that friction and that tension brings us to a place where God can really build relationship and begin to do special things in our lives. A couple years ago, we had a uh, Christmas service here. And it didn't go well. Worship was a little rough. And I had asked the guys and the team if they could just do this for me. And so at the end of it, Tucker asked me, <laughs> "How? what's up? And I just unloaded on him. And I think that, of course, I, I went and apologized later. I said, hey, I'm so sorry, that was wrong. But I think we have the relationship we do today because we've walked through stuff like that. And he knew I wasn't, I didn't hate him. <laughs> and he forgave me. And God restored and built things together. And that's the way it works. And the New Testament is full of people. And there's always problems with people, isn't there? And I, my, so I've got kind of a dual encouragement to us today. One is, Those little things aren't trivial. Those little acts of grace are powerful and they're impacting. And when the enemy gets involved and begins to break down relationship, tear things down, work those things through because at the end of the day, I know that in Christ, we can take those times and move forward. And don't be afraid to walk stuff out together and, 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 and really be mindful of how we can impact each other in the details I suppose here's the thing, over the next few weeks, we're going to be out in the community serving in a variety of ways with a variety of people, and we'll have opportunities to interact with other people that we normally wouldn't have opportunities to interact with, right? That's what's happening. And and I want to encourage you this. I I want to encourage you to, to have your spiritual antenna up and your eyes and your ears open and do this. Smile. 
do this. Greet people, shake hands, bump fists, whatever. Give words of encouragement. Just go ask somebody what's going on. I'll tell you, one of the most powerful things I do week in and week out is at our food pantry. I just ask people what's going on, and they tell me, and I go, hey, I'll pray for you. And, and, and maybe you can pray for them right there, which is cool. Maybe not. Just pray for them later. But just, hey, I'll pray for you. And, and sometimes you don't realize maybe nobody else, you know, for us it's weird because that's life. That's what we say, I'll pray for you, right? But maybe no one else has said, I'll pray for you to that person. You're the only one praying for them. Carry out those little acts of, of grace. If you have an opportunity, pray for somebody. If you have an opportunity, share your faith, lead somebody to Christ. All that stuff might happen, but it might not. But what will happen is this. You will have an opportunity to, to impact people's lives and to change their understanding of who Christians are and who followers of Jesus are and, and love them in little ways, little acts of grace. Let's stand.